Please say this after me. This is God's word. God said it. I believe it. And that settles it. Let's get straight into the message. This is an important message that I'd like to share with you today. The title of the message is The Wedding at Cana of Galilee. The Wedding at Cana of Galilee. It comes from John chapter 1, verse 1 to 11. If you have the New King James Version, then have a look in your Bible, uh, else you might want to follow on the screen. Let's get straight into the story. But Lord Jesus, thank you for the anointing as the word goes out. In the name of Jesus, I trust and rely on the anointing of the Spirit in Jesus' name. It says in John 2 verse 1 to 11, on the third day there was a wedding in Cana of Galilee, and the mother of Jesus was there. Now both Jesus and his disciples were invited to the wedding. And when they ran out of wine, this was a big problem. And when they ran out of wine, the mother of Jesus said to him, they have no wine. Jesus said to her, woman, why does, what does your concern have to do with me? My hour has not yet come. His mother said to the servants, whatever he says to you, do it. Now there were set there six water pots of stone, according to the manner of purification of the Jews, containing 20 to 30 gallons apiece. Jesus said to them, fill the water pots with water, and they filled them to the brim. Just a little comment here is we're talking about six water pots for ceremonial cleansing. What would happen in those days is as part of the Jewish ceremonial laws, before you ate, there were these pots of water and you would wash your hands in this water. This would happen before a meal, this would happen after a meal. But I believe there's a prophetic significance here because those pots represented the old covenant and the Old Testament laws. And God was saying now, it's going to be something new on the scene. There's going to be new wine instead of the Old Testament laws. And he was talking about a new dispensation that was coming in. Can you say amen? amen. Now, verse 8 on the next slide says, And he said to them, Draw out some water and take it to the master of the feast. And they took it. And when the master of the feast had tasted, now he has the miracle, the water that was made wine and did not know where it came from. But the servants who had drawn the water knew the master of the feast called the bridegroom. And he said to him, every man at the beginning sets out the good wine. And when the guests have well drunk, then the inferior. You have kept the good wine until now. And in the last verse, verse 11 this beginning of signs Jesus did in Cana of Galilee and manifested his glory. Don't you love that? Manifested his glory. You know what? In our meeting today, God has been manifesting his glory. He manifested his glory. And then the last verse says, and his disciples believed in him. Would you say the word believed? believed. I would submit to you that this is a story of faith 
and a story of believing in Jesus. We should walk away from reading the story with our faith in Jesus increased, believing in more, because he can do things beyond what we can ask or think. He can do things where the, re- the natural realm comes to an end. He can do above the natural, supernatural. Now, just to point out something which uh, is quite interesting, when Jesus referred in this passage, when he referred to his mother as woman, how many of you call your mother's woman? <laughs> when he referred to his mother as woman, he was not at all being rude or disrespectful because the term woman was used in those days like we would use the term ma'am. And when you say ma'am, uh, it's actually very respectful. And Jesus was basically saying to his mother when she told him they've run out of wine, he was basically saying, ma'am, why do you involve me? All right. It's also interesting that he used the same word when he was on the cross and about to breathe his last. And he looked down and he saw his mother and he saw John and he committed his mother into John's care. And at the same time, he used that word, woman, behold your son. In other words, ma'am, behold your son. So Jesus was being fully respectful. So just a hot tip. Don't go home to your mother after church today and say, woman, where's the food? Where's the lunch? All right. That's not what it means. Okay. Now, the story is placed in a different time frame many years ago. And so there's some elements that we should understand. And also another element of prophetic significance that I'd like to share with you. And this is it. Here, Jesus was at a wedding feast and he provided wine in great abundance. And one day, Jesus will be hosting the marriage supper of the Lamb, and he will provide the greatest abundance ever seen at any feast in all of eternity. Isn't that amazing? And so I believe there is prophetic significance here. Something else is that here, take note, Jesus was attending a wedding. Sometimes when you put your presence at something, you're endorsing something. Do you realize that? He was attending a wedding. In other words, he was putting his stamp of approval on the covenant of marriage. And I want to say it loud and clear. Marriage is still God's plan and purpose. Don't think you get clever with ideas of modern trends in the world. That ain't clever. Let's be truthful. And I want to say if you are living with somebody that is not righteous to be living with them and you're not married to them. God still honors the covenant of marriage, and so should you and I. Don't be so quiet. You can say an amen on that one. Good stuff. What's interesting about this story is that it is quite possible that the couple that was getting married were family of Jesus and Mary, or at least close friends of the family. And we can say this for two reasons. One of them is because Mary was involved behind the scenes, it seems, at this wedding. Otherwise, how would she have known that they've run out of wine? You don't tell everybody. Just the people behind the scene. And so Mary was in on things. Perhaps she was organizing and helping organize this wedding. Another thing that we see is that it appears that Jesus' brothers... I'm not talking the disciples, they were there as well, but Jesus' brothers were at this wedding. 
And it's made clear uh, in a scripture just after this passage where it speaks about Jesus, his mother, the disciples, and his brothers went from there to Capernaum. So this was perhaps a relative, a family member. And that's why Jesus, Mary, and the family were there. One more broad comment about the whole thing of the wedding in those days. In those days, do you know that weddings lasted for seven days? How would you like to have to pay the bill for a seven-day wedding feast? Here am I, Lord, send somebody else. Don't send me. And so during that, I mean, that's quite a party, seven days of party, and the hosts were expected to keep the food and wine running. There are four things that I'd like to say about this as we take this passage and make it real for ourselves today. Number one, turn to the right person when you need help. Please say that with me. Turn to the right person when you need help. Now you might say, well, that's common sense. But somehow we don't always operate on that common sense. To say this, in those days, family honor and the honor of your family name was very important. And so to run out of wine was no small crisis. This was a big problem. And it was even potentially a, a disgrace. It could bring dishonor on the family name because it showed that you were either careless or impoverished and it could be a means of shame coming upon you. But Mary knew that Jesus could, be, could do something about it to avoid any shame and dishonor. John 2 verse 3, it is on your screen, it says, And when they ran out of wine, the mother of Jesus said to him, They have no wine. Now let me ask you this. Who did Mary turn to? Mary turned to Jesus. I'd like to submit to you, in another way of putting it, the right person. Mary turned to Jesus, he tur she turned to the right person. And when did she turn to him? Well, apparently immediately, straight away. It's as though in her heart she knew, when there's a crisis, I know where to go, to the one who can solve the crisis. Now, I'm sure that Mary could have moaned. She could have complained when she discovered there's not enough wine. She could have become upset, vented to those around her. She could have blown off some steam to other guests. She could have perhaps gone onto social media and put a sad face emoji on social media. Or she could have tweeted, hashtag no wine, this sucks. <laughs> but she didn't do that. What did she do? She turned to Jesus. I love that. And she set an example for us in what she did because we should do likewise. We should turn to Jesus. I want to ask you this question. When you, sir, ma'am, when you encounter a problem, who do you turn to? Or maybe not only who, but what do you turn to? I encounter in my interaction with people in the church and people outside of the church that oftentimes we turn to the wrong place. And that's right. We make the wrong decision at that point in time. We turn to things like, alcohol and drinking. 
And we think to ourselves, well, if I can just go have a couple of beers with the boys, I'm sure that I can solve things and I will feel better about this problem in my marriage. But then you come home only to discover you see your wife in stereo. (laughs) Some of you are getting that. It's a little bit slow. It's not the right thing to turn to. Some other people might decide, well, I'm so upset about the situation that I'm facing that I'm going to go home and I'm going to watch an entire series, all 12 episodes at once, because I'm just going to bury this thing that I don't want to face it. Some people turn to something else. It's called comfort food, comfort eating. (laughs) Don't giggle with a guilty laugh, please. Just giggle with a happy laugh, all right? And then you decide you've got to go to the fridge, you've got to raid the pantry, and you've got to eat, eat those bunch of tinkies, or you've got to devour that whole slab in one shot, because then you're going to feel better, because I've turned to something. Oh. Sometimes you might turn to an unbelieving friend. You know what? Could we encourage each other to rather turn to Jesus? Why don't you say to the person next to you, turn to Jesus. That's the right way. He is the example. And the old song says, oh what, need, oh, what peace we often forfeit. Oh, what needless pain we bear. All, we co- all because we do not carry everything to God in prayer. And so we actually have to train ourselves to turn to God first. Can you say amen? amen. Now, number two, Mary's faith in the story. Listen to this statement. Faith and miracles go together. Please say that with me. Faith and miracles go together. Do you believe that? When you look at the word and you see miracles taking place, you just have to look a few verses before to discover something. And what do you discover? You discover that there was faith that went before the miracle that occurred, the miracle that took place. And I believe that if we want to, in our lives and in this church, if we want to experience more miracles, we need to be exercising our faith a little bit more. The scripture says in John 2 verse 5, it's on your screen, his mother said to the servants, whatever he says to you, do it. I really like those words in this passage. Do they stand out for you? They sure do for me. Whatever he says to you, do it. These are remarkable words. And I believe that they still apply to you and I today. Whatever he says to you, do it. May I ask you, has God given you an instruction lately? Has he laid something on your heart that you need to act upon? Because I want to say these words are for you. Whatever he says to you, do it. There is nothing like walking in obedience to God. And as we obey what God says, we are operating in faith. Faith is a response to revelation. Jesus says, do something. You respond to that. You are acting in faith. I'm so glad that I responded to what the Lord said to me years ago when he said, step out and plant a church and I will cause it to be a fruitful and a majestic cedar. All honor to the Lord because it was a case of what he said and I needed to act on that. And so I want to encourage you, step out in faith. If God is telling you to do something, it will be worth it. But here's something very important. It was Mary that demonstrated remarkable faith in the story. It wasn't the servants. 
They were filling up the pots and they were taking the water to the master of the feast, but they were just operating under the instruction because they were servants. They had to do what they were told. But it was Mary that demonstrated the faith in the story that should inspire you and I. It was her faith that resulted in the remarkable miracle. And it was her faith that was unmistakable. And so let's make it clear that there's an example of Mary's faith that we discover here. And you know, it's as though her faith resulted in the withdrawal from heaven. It's as though the resources or the bank account of heaven was accessed by Mary because of her faith. Even though Jesus said at that time, it's not yet my time. Nonetheless, because of the faith in operation, God responds to faith. Won't you say that with me? God responds to faith. We know also that Mary believed in the miracle working power, otherwise she would have never turned to him. I believe if we have confidence in the character of God, then we turn to him for help and we turn to him in situations. And also Mary's faith is evidenced in the story in the fact that she immediately gave word to the servants of following Jesus' instruction. Because Jesus, according to the text, he didn't say, okay, uh, yes, I hear you, I'm going to do it. There wasn't that. But Mary, in, in any case, she just went to the servants and said, listen, do whatever he says. Point number three, Jesus is the miracle worker. He can still turn water into wine. Please say that out aloud with me. Jesus is the miracle worker. He can still turn water into wine. Now, John 2 verse 9 is the scripture. It says, the master of the feast tasted the water that was made wine and did not know where it came from. But we know where it came from. Amen. It came from heaven. It came from God's supernatural provision. Now, you need to take note of this. That Jesus, in this moment, he did something that no human being could ever do. He turned water into wine. It was a miracle that happened right in that moment. And sometimes I find that we read scriptures out of the word of God, and it's almost like blase, yeah, yeah, water, wine. No, this is water that turned into wine. No human can do this. Show me a human that can do this. Nobody can. But our God is a miracle worker. Why did he do this? Because he is God. Because God is a miracle worker. And he is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He is still a miracle worker. It didn't stop in the book of Acts. It didn't stop in the Gospels. He is still a miracle worker. And so he, my God, your God, he changed water into wine. And you know what? It was the finest quality wine, so much so that the master of the feast was astonished. And also, it was a miracle, listen to this, it was a miracle of abundance, because there were six water pots, and if you work out the gallons and convert it to liters in terms of what it can take, those six stone water pots could together hold between, listen to this, 600 to 800 liters of wine. That's a lot of provision. And it just makes me think what an amazing God we serve. Now, I don't know much about the art of winemaking. I don't profess to have any great knowledge on this. But it's common knowledge that it takes a long time to make wine. It does. 
I read up a little bit about this in preparing for this message. And it's interesting that from the time that you actually harvest the grape until the time you can begin to drink wine is at the very least about four months if you use a certain type of grape. But it can be anything from four months realistically up to 20 years for wine to age and become really good, fine wine. It can even go many years longer, 30, 40 years. But so broadly speaking, you're talking from four months to 20 years. They say on average, wine takes three to four years to make. And so here is the point in what I'm saying. What should have taken many years, listen to that, what should have taken many years, God did in a moment. He can do things in a moment. Things that should take so much longer. And here, he was performing his first miracle. And at his first miracle, he was doing a miracle of acceleration. And I believe that God can still accelerate things today. Things that you in your mind have said are going to take, it's at least going to take 10 years, at least going to take 20 years. I want to challenge that thinking today and say that if you put your faith in God, you could see things happening a lot quicker than you are anticipating. They should be happening because of putting our faith in God. And so God did it in a moment. It was a miracle of acceleration. Maybe you're listening to me today and you are here, maybe listening on television and you are stuck in debt. It's a bad situation. You're under debt review and it doesn't look good. The prospects are that maybe it would take 10 to 15 years to get out of debt and that bondage. But I want to say to you today, there is a God that operates with laws above the natural. And He can accelerate that process. If you're going to just begin to put your faith in Him, honor Him with your finances, begin to trust God for new wisdom, seek counsel from people who know how to work wisely with money. But I want to tell you that God can take a 15 to 20 year period and He can reduce it to a fraction of the time. Let faith be released in your heart. Let faith be released. Listen, let faith be released in your heart for your finances. Maybe you're here today and you're longing for promotion. It feels like you've been stuck at the same place and you're part of a big company and you would so love to be promoted and you even sense that that's what the Lord wants to do. But it seems very unlikely and it could take several years for you to be eligible for promotion. Well, I want to tell you, God can accelerate that. I pray that a gift of faith would be released in people's hearts that that word is for. Point number four, are you still with me, church? Yes. Are you still with me? Yes. Okay. Number four, this is very important, not a very long point. All we need to do is bring our water and let Jesus do the rest. Let him turn it into wine. If there's one thing that you walk away with from this message, if you've forgotten everything else so far, well, you weren't listening very well in any case, but if you've forgotten everything, just remember this, that all you have to do is you have to bring your water, your little bit, your natural stuff, and God does the supernatural work, which you cannot possibly do. The scripture says in the same passage, John, John 2 verse 11, the beginning of signs Jesus did in Cana of Galilee, this was the beginning of signs, and manifested his glory, and look at this, and the disciples believed. 
Would you say the word believe? believe? You see, because of what they saw, belief grew, faith grew. You need to place yourself in environments of faith. Let me say that again. You need to place yourself in environments of faith, in friendship circles of faith, not of negativity, fear, and doubt. Because when you experience those environments, it helps your faith to grow. So the disciples, they already had faith in Jesus, but they came out of this experience with more faith. And the purpose of this story today, of the water being turned into wine, the purpose that we're looking at it today is because God wants your faith to grow, that you would believe him for things that you've not believed him for before. Building up your most holy faith, that's what it's about. And so it's important to realize that you and I have a part to play in seeing miracles take place. What is your part? It's actually quite simple. You bring your little bit of water to God. It's actually quite simple. You bring the little bit that you have. You bring that expectant heart when you come to church. You bring that belief in his character. You bring those little five loaves and those two fishes and you think it can't do much and God said, just give it into my hands. You give that rod in your hand and God says, I'll use it remarkably. And so this is what he does. He's a God that specializes in doing these things. But there's a part that you have to play. I have to cooperate. You have to cooperate. What do we do? We bring that little bit of water. Oh, come on, say to the person next to you, bring that water. Bring that little bit of water. As I draw to a close, let me tell you just a, a little story here. Andy Stanley, he runs a church called North Point Church in Atlanta. A vibrant church. Andy's almost 60 years of age now. Vibrant and dynamic church. I've read some of his books. I really enjoy them. But this is what Andy says. He was writing in one of his chapters about preaching. And in this chapter, he said sometimes on a Saturday night, as he's going over his sermon and he's reading through and looking at his sermon, he looks at this and he says it feels just so dead. It feels so dry. But nonetheless... He goes over it, and the next morning, he gets into the pulpit at church, and he gives that sermon which he felt was so dry and so dead and so on, and God brings life to it. What is he doing? He's bringing his little bit of water, and God takes it and makes it into wine and touches people's hearts. And I tell you, I can honestly relate to that story. There's sometimes I'm going over my guideline on a Saturday night and I think, Lord, please rapture me. Now would be a good time, you know. <laughs> it looks so dry. Lord, it looks so plain. And then I just in faith come and I share the message on the Sunday morning and without fail, God comes through, God comes through and I give him a, a, the honor and glory for the way he comes through. What am I doing? I'm bringing my little bit of water and God says, I take this and I do incredible things with the little bit that's in your hand. Let's give the Lord a hand of praise. And so you might be here and maybe you're a life group leader and you're feeling so insecure. You feel, I can't lead this life. I'm not good enough. There's another person in the life group. He even knows more about the Bible than me. I want to tell you, don't be intimidated. Just look at what God has given you, that little bit of water. Take that bit of water. He'll turn it into wine. Take that ability to make cakes. 
Take that hospitality gifting that the Lord has given you. Take your ability to, to do artwork and paint. Take your voice, give your voice to the Lord, your musical ability. Bring your availability to serve and watch what God will do. And so I want to say to you loud and clear, God is speaking to us today. He says, I want to do wonderful things through your life. Would you just bring me this little bit of order? And I am the miracle worker. I will turn it into one. Let's give the Lord a hand of praise. Come on, say hallelujah. Let's stand and pray. Father, we thank you that our faith has been built up through this message today. Thank you for Mary's example. She saw that problem and she came right into you. And Lord, with the problems that we are facing in our lives, that we may be facing right now, we come to you, Lord. And Lord, we desire also that you would use us in a greater way. And so we say, Lord, here we are. We give our little bit of water to you. As we look at this little bit of water, it might not seem like much. But in the master's hand, it becomes multiplied and so much more. Lord, use your people. Lord, use us for the honor and glory of your name. And we pray this in Jesus' name. And we all say, amen. 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 God bless you, everybody. Have a wonderful Sunday.